Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Episode 74 of the Send the Edge podcast. I'm Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J1MOSQ. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at 4 Say what's up to the people, Charles. What's up? We are back with our very timely NFL Draft recap podcast. I think it's almost been three weeks. Uh, so I'm going to upload this on Thursday. So it will have been three weeks since the, uh, the draft ended, which means this is a perfect time to get off takes because everyone has said everything else to say already. It's, it's ideal, honestly. Uh, so what we are going to do is just kind of run through the team's rapid fire, just spend a couple of minutes on each team and just talk about their overall draft, uh, how we think they did, and then answer questions along the way as they come. So uh, you want to start it off with the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, so uh, the Cleveland Browns took Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Austin Corbett, Nick Chubb, Chad Thomas, and Antonio Callaway. Somehow, they what is that, six picks? In the first four rounds, so they had like six relevant picks. Um, shouts to Baker Hive. I feel like we got to start off with shouts to Baker Hive because you and I have been higher on, I would say, Baker and Lamar for the, the past season. two years. Yeah. Like, yeah, the past two years. Um, so, yeah, sh- shouts to Baker just uh, rocketing up the draft board, media draft boards, at least not, not behind the scenes draft board. Uh, Hugh Jackson's draft board for sure. Um, on the day of the draft, and uh, losing me some money because I had money on Sam Darnold going number one. Damn. Uh, you know, I, I like their draft. I thought that it was interesting that everyone thought that they were going to pick Bradley Chubb at four uh, if he was there. But I think Denzel Ward is a good pick just because when you look at the Browns roster, what's the bigger need, uh, defensive end or cornerback? I mean, I think, when you, I think the people who were kind of disappointed with the Ward pick aren't too familiar with really just how good Emmanuel Ogba was last season. And even if his stats were a little bit deflated, he's not bad enough or, you know, like you don't really need to take a player for there. But when you look at their cornerback situation, they absolutely needed a, a, like a legit starter there. So I really like how they start off the draft with Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward. And then I think the Nick Chubb pick kind of is convoluted for this year, but moving down once Carlos Hyde leaves, that that should be. I don't. I don't. I I feel like Chubb could Chubb could beat out Hyde. Honestly. Yeah, I, I do too. But just kind of like why? Like there, there's Chubb? a lot. There's, there's a lot of for Hyde? whatever reason, like the the dynasty community because we have a damn dynasty league. It's the worst thing on earth. So I've been following some of these guys on Twitter, and for some reason, there's like a strong sentiment of like, oh yeah, Chubb's like moving down rankings because you know short term he's kind of hurt in the situation that he's in. It's Carlos Hyde. What are we talking about? Like, yeah, uh, uh, the 35th overall pick running back should be able to beat out Carlos Hyde. Yeah, it's just kind of like like looking back, like why did you even waste time signing Carlos Hyde? But it, it doesn't really matter because uh, you know looking at the Brown Frost there, uh, they have a lot more talent than they did last year. Hopefully, it can <laughs> get some wins because I don't I don't think anyone would would say that 
when you just look at their roster from last year, they have the talent of an 0-16 team, but that's where they ended up, and hopefully they can just get some, some better progress this year. Uh, the next one, one last thing I want to say. One thing I want to say about the Denzel Ward thing. I'm not sure people were as disappointed as they were surprised. Um, Denzel Ward was the highest drafted cornerback uh, since Charles Woodson. Do you know how old Denzel Ward was when Charles Woodson was drafted? Was, was he like four or five? He was zero years old. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> We're getting old, man. Uh, okay. Uh, the next team is the New York Giants. And we can start it off with a question from... Where did it go? Uh, I, it was somebody asking if the the Giants should have just taken an actual punter at uh, two. Oh, from Alex at JBPL9. <laughs> Were the Giants better off drafting an actual punter at two instead of a running back? Uh, yes, because the money that Saquon Barkley got in terms of guarantees is more equivalent to a punter's than a running back's. Yeah, I mean, just when you that's, look... That's the thing when people talk about, like, guards, which I, like, just don't understand at all. And they're like, damn, is, like, Quentin Nelson and, you know, Brandon Scherf going this high? Does that mean that guards are going to be taken high? It's like, do you guys pay attention to free agency at all? <laughs> like, these guys are getting way, way more paid than any running back is on the open market. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think we're all in the – I think everyone is on the bandwagon that Barkley is, like, an objectively good player. But to take a, a running back at two is just kind of ridiculous, uh, especially just when you look at how deep this class was and – uh, how much how much money running backs are getting in free agency and stuff? But I, I don't. I think just listening to Dave Gettleman talk, he probably has no clue how much money running backs are getting in free agency. And the funniest part he about has no, the, he has no idea. He I saw him breaking down film with a Wii remote. He yeah, has no clue. There it is. Uh, that's your your GM. Uh, and I thought it was funny that after the draft, he said that Jonathan Stewart hasn't lost a step. And Jonathan Stewart, like, if you're gonna say he hasn't lost a step. John Stewart's been a pro bowler, so why are you, if that's your logic, why are you taking Barkley at two? Uh, he said Elon Manning is good, and he also traded away Jason Pierre-Paul and then signed Kareem Martin, so okay. who, who, who knows? Who yeah. knows what that man is thinking? Uh, I mean, besides Barkley, I, I think when you do look at like the, the skill talent for the Giants, just Odell, Ingram, Barkley, Shepard, like, that's a, that's a fun group. It just kind of matters if everyone else can stay alive long enough on plays to actually get them the ball and let them get in space. But uh, I thought the Will Hernandez pick was good just because their offensive line was in shambles. Lawrence Carter pick is interesting. Uh, I mean, this might sound he's like gonna, He's going to flex around for him. Yeah. So but, I, I mean, think that's interesting. Would you be surprised? Really ha- Go. Would you be surprised if he had a better season than Kareem Martin this year? No, no. not at all. Kareem Martin sucks. Kareem Martin gets three and a half sacks every year. So. Uh, yeah, and he's making fifteen million dollars on his next contract. This is it's it's one of the more ridiculous things. But I, I do like Lorenzo Carter's. So like we weren't real big fans of Lorenzo Carter, but he was a guy that we ended up watching a lot. One because I keep track of these guys way too far ahead of time, right? And you were a UGA fan, so we were talking about Lorenzo Carter probably three years ago, like just yeah. in like text and stuff, right? Like super casual. Um, but we could never really pin down if he was going to be a pass rusher or a linebacker. And I think at a spot with like New York where there's room to breathe at both linebacker because they've been so bad at linebacker and because Kareem Martin is a projected starter there at, at – uh, they are playing outside – yeah, he's playing outside linebacker now. Yeah. Um, so j- just a spot where he has room to breathe at 
two different positions. I think it'll probably probably be something that shakes out in summer camp, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if Lorenzo Carter started at either pass rusher or linebacker, you know, yeah. week one. And I think the only objection we really had to Lorenzo Carter, at least, you know, with a was, month Was left. that Josh Norris ranked him as the 20th overall player in the draft? Yeah, just like he liked the Jihad. Josh always falls, like, for one super raw defensive lineman every single year. Like, he, had, he was high on Jihad Ward, too, and that guy was booty cheeks uh but i think the thing with lorenzo card is we we were just kind of pushing back on the notion that he was a first round pick but if you're going to take a pass rusher who ran a 4-4 at the top of the third like that's cool with me every single time all right next team is the indianapolis colts uh they drafted quentin nelson at six after trading down and then they took a couple other guys they had four second round picks darius leonard Braden Smith, Kamoko Toure, Taekwon Lewis, those last two are pass rushers. And then in the fourth round, they drafted Naheem Hines. I want to say that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, he was a receiver, you know, return specialist who moved to running back. Um, really, like, all-star, all-star caliber, sprint times. Um, he's going to be interesting because I think everyone thinks that Indianapolis probably has the weakest depth chart in terms of their running back unit. But I think Hines is going to, like – Heinz's peak probably is like a Duke Johnson role, right? Yeah. That's what I would assume. Um, but our son, Bane, Bane Nelson, did yeah. get picked by the Indianapolis Colts. And that entire offensive line now, I think the lowest drafted starter on their offensive line right now is a second-round pick. So there's really – you know, they, they've had that crutch of an excuse of an offensive line for a while, and they've kind of put themselves in a position where they can no longer make it an excuse now. Yeah, uh, and we have a question from Justin Ferguson at J Ferguson AU. Uh, this is about Quentin Nelson, or you know, or the Colton General. Do you all think this draft will set the tone for more guards getting picked in earlier rounds, or was it just a one-off of the amount of talent in this class? So we already hit on Will Hernandez; he went in the top of round two uh, to the Giants. We had what Billy Price going twenty-one to the Bengals. Quentin Nelson went top ten. So you know, you had a, a uh, Frank Ragnow. Frank Ragnow he ended up going super high. Yeah, he, he played a, a little bit of guard. One spot for Billy Price to the Detroit Lions. So you you had a, a pretty decent amount of uh, interior offensive linemen just going in the top like thirty-five picks. So uh, I I think you know, and we talk about this a lot on Twitter, where the NFL is voting with their wallets on how they view these guys. So. It's not really that ludicrous to take a guy like Quentin Nelson uh, in the top 10 when you're not paying him as much as, you know, some of these guards are just getting like mega deals now. So if you can get a guy as talented as $60 million, like not a bat of an eye when a guard gets that now. So Right. So now you have a guy like Quentin Nelson who could easily step in and be at like a top eight, top seven guard this year, and you're paying him way less than those other guys. So it, it like financially it definitely makes sense to take those guards early. Uh, the next team. Uh, are, or at least my beloved Houston Texans, you know, for not having a pick in the first two rounds of the draft, I thought they came away pretty well. I mean, at least just in terms of, because if you're not going to have a, a pick in the first two rounds and you're going to come back and you get uh, Mark, Justin Reed from Stanford, the safety, and then Martinez Rankin from Mississippi State, that's a pretty good like one-two punch right there. And then they come back later in the draft uh, in the sixth round with a guy like Duke Ejiofor who had some buzz on draft Twitter. But uh, they we're going to stick to the first four rounds. So they picked Justin Reed, Martinez Rankin, uh, Jordan Atkins, a 26-year-old tight end from UCF, and then Kiki Kuti, a receiver from Texas Tech. So well, how do you feel about the draft for not having a, two first-round picks? Because I feel pretty good about it. Gonna be honest, did not watch a snap of Justin Reed, or at least not with me focusing on Justin Reed. So you're gonna have to tell me about him. Um, watch Rankin, definitely was a guy who I thought was a top 100 talent coming into this season. 
he kind of was always a little bit up and down in his college career. He never really ever kind of leveled off and like gotten rhythm, I guess I would say. Um, Aikens is kind of an interesting guy. He was a guy that actually, uh, you know how Bob McGinn makes those makes those lists every year of like top top draft prospects, and here's like scout quotes and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So Aikens was a guy who showed up on his draft list when Aikens was like a freshman because Aikens already could have declared if he wanted to, right? And he was talked about as a top 100 pick uh, back then, and, and like no one ever talked about him ever again. He didn't make Bob McGinn's list the next three years uh, up until this draft. So that, that was kind of an interesting situation there just because Houston really does need a tight end. And I, I feel like in terms of play callers and how – heavy they lean into tight ends, Bill O'Brien has to be up there. So I think Aikens can be a guy who can make a difference, you know, year one, even though he was picked like 98th or whatever. And then Cutie is a guy who I think that can get on the field too, just because Braxton Miller is so awful. Yep. Uh, another draft Twitter darling, Braxton Miller, RIP. Uh, the next team, the Denver Broncos, they selected Bradley Chubb with the fifth overall pick, which makes sense when you look at how they missed on Shane Ray uh, during the 2015 draft. And uh, moving forward with them, I think just looking at Bradley Chubb and Von Miller is just ridiculous. And then they got uh, they added two receivers, Corlin Sutton and from SMU in the second round, Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State in the fourth round. Uh, I I like their draft. I didn't really watch Royce Freeman, but Chubb is a, is a beast that we we all know that he like he's objectively good. Uh, Sutton's had some round one buzz, and then Hamilton was like a draft Twitter darling. So when you look at like if they weren't gonna go quarterback at five I, I think getting Chubb is one of the best scenarios you could have yeah and I think the the funny thing is I thought that they were going to go with Denzel Ward um I, I thought Ward and Chubb were going to be flip four or five so I wasn't too surprised how this draft totally shook out at the top but it's really interesting to see how the Broncos drafted because like Chubb right now in terms of how much Chubb makes you better versus Ray and Shaquille Barrett, like, this moment. I'm not sure it's really that much. Um, and then Sutton and Hamilton might end up being the, you know, they could be anything from the third to fifth receivers on that depth chart. So I, I kind of think, like, the Broncos, at least at least in the eyes of John Elway, like, he has a longer leash than we thought. Because we thought that they were kind of in win-now mode, and his picks kind of show us that, like, no, we're already thinking to, like, 2019 and not paying Shane Ray his fifth year option and being able to get out of a Demarius uh, a Demarius Thomas or an Emmanuel Sanders contract situation because both of those guys can you know they can get out of those deals next season so I think that one's kind of interesting and they save money on C J Anderson and they come back in the third round of draft a guy like Royce Freeman um, they let a guy like a keep to walk and then they draft a cornerback out of Boston College whose name I'm not going to say so I, I do think that it's interesting how kind of like you can go up and down their draft basically and say like oh these are all like either draft selections that were made because they created cap relief uh already or they're looking for future cap relief yeah i i just think it's so funny that john elway has just kind of taken himself out of the quarterback market in the draft at least because he's missed so many times but i think i'm, I'm higher than case Keenum, oh, case keenum than a lot of people but I mean, this is probably still going to be a pretty long season for the Broncos. Yeah, they're not going to be good. For whatever reason, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs have less of a – like they, they have shorter odds 
to win the uh, AFC West than the uh, Denver Broncos. And that still doesn't make any sense to me. So the next team, the sixth team, is the New York Jets. They only had three picks. Um, Sam Darnold, Nathan Shepard, and Chris Herndon. Herndon is basically coming off of injury for Miami. Uh, Shepard played D2 football. Uh, he was playing in Canada for a bit. I think he took like a construction job and then returned to D2. And then Sam Darnold was th- was the third overall pick by him. So they're kind of in a weird spot where it was kind of kind of like the Houston Texans, I want to say, last year, where it's kind of feast or famine. Like their draft is going to hinge on the success of Sam Darnold, point blank, period. Yeah, and, you know, it, we're, we're, it's the same old theme with the Jets. How the hell are they going to rush the passes? You're like... Oh, yeah. It's, it, well, who is it? We realized it was Josh Martin and... Uh, Jordan Jenkins again? Yeah. I mean, they haven't had a 10-sack guy since, like, Calvin Pace, so. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's they're, they're in a weird spot. They're definitely in a weird spot. Them and the Rams, um, I would say probably the four weakest starting pass rushers in the NFL play for those two teams. Yeah, edge rushers, because let's not, let's not put some shame on Sue and Donald. No, yeah, edge rushers. Uh yes, I mean that's that's really all we got in the Jets. It... So here here's here's a question I'll propose to you. So the Jets traded a month before the draft up to the third overall pick. They gave up three sec. They gave up, yeah they gave up three second round picks for it. Um, now knowing that Josh Allen and not that we're Josh Allen fans, but let's put ourselves in the shoes of a New York Jets general manager or scout. Um, Josh Allen and Josh Rosen were both going to be available at six. Do you think they still give up three second-round picks to move up from six to three? No. Yeah, I think they want that one back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just they would. They would never tell us out. that. They'd never tell us that ever. But I think, if hard of hearts, they do want that one back. Yeah. Uh, so the next team, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, originally owned the seventh pick. Uh, I, 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 I'm not a fan of the draft. I did not get like trading down was cool, and I thought that they were going to take Derwin James, but. To take Vita Vea that high, why? Because, you know, you couldn't rush the passer, and I, I guess, you know, adding JPP helps, and obviously, like, Jared McCoy is still getting it done. But I don't really see how Vea helps his team because, you know, I, like, they weren't good in run defense last year, but it, run defense isn't really that important, you know? So to get a guy who's... And they and they had linebackers, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. at some point, that interior triangle, like, how, how much are you going to spend on that? And it should be also like it should also be noted that like this team is kind of stocked. Like they, they already brought in uh, Mitch Unrein. I want to say that's how you say his name, the guy who's like a five tech for Chicago. Yeah. And then they they got Bo Allen too, who's a nose tackle who was coming off the bench for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I thought either one of those guys could have slid into that role and started decently. You know, next to Gerald McCoy, with you know Vinnie Curry just got added to that team. Jason Pierre-Paul just got added to that team. William Golson and Noah Spencer coming off the bench, which for those guys is pretty like a pretty ideal role. So they just kind of like really went hard at like making sure they have a two deep on the defensive line. But at some point, you're throwing good money over bad, right? Yeah, uh, and just with like the Vea, Erron, Bo Allen trio, it, I mean, it's all very similar type players you're getting there. And just with Vea, obviously, like if he can hit his ceiling he, I mean that's can be one of the most dominant players in the league but I just think that Vea when you watch him he sounds better in theory than he does when you watch him play because he, he really just, he really just did not make a lot of plays for Washington last year and it, like to take a guy that high who's not a 
true playmaker was kind of bizarre to me. Agree. And even uh, I know Pro Football Focus, the guys from Pro Football Focus have tweeted out this graph where it's like their pass rushing numbers correlated from college to the NFL and edge rushers and like three tech guys, basically like it correlates really well. And like nose tackles, it's like negative. So it would go to suggest that like if you're a good nose tackle pass rusher at the college level, it's very different than being a nose tackle, a good pass rushing nose tackle at the NFL level. And I would say, I don't know what your opinion of that is, but, but I would say that that's probably true just because of, you know, the ta- the talent of college centers and stuff, especially in the Pac-12, right? It's yeah. not like these, like he went against a bunch, like Questenberry's probably the best guy that he went against. And I want to say Questenberry was probably like a fifth round pick at UCLA. Yeah, that's probably true. So, again, it, I, I think Vea is a, a project player, like just not close to being the finished project that he was billed as. But I guess they thought they had to add talent to the defensive line, and Harold Landry must have scared them off too much. And, you know, he felt his second album touch on the later. Uh, the next team is the Chicago Bears, who picked Roquan Smith with the eighth overall pick. Stud linebacker, I, I think just about everybody on the planet had him as the best linebacker in the draft. Uh, and then they came back and beefed up their offense with James Daniel, the center from Iowa, in the second round. And they got Anthony Miller, the wide receiver from Memphis, in the second round as well. So, I mean, just those three. I just thought those first three picks were really strong. Uh, I think their offensive line is, is, like, just in terms of what teams have been able to do, like the Eagles and the Chiefs, in terms of being athletic with their offensive line and getting their offensive line out in space. Now you have two guys in the interior, Cody White here and James Daniels, who can definitely make plays in space. And I think that that's just going to add, like, more wrinkles to the offenses, Matt Nagy. Kyle, Kyle Long, too. Yeah, you Kyle remember Long Kyle too. Long, too. Like, that that entire interior is going to look really good. I think Anthony Miller's really interesting, too, just because if you look at his college splits, just how much work he did in the red zone is going to be interesting. Um, the Chicago – basically, the Chicago Bears passing offense is going to look nothing like it did last year between the additions of Allen Robinson – Anthony Miller, Taylor Gabriel, and then Trey Burton. Like, this team is basically not going to look like the same team that – who was it, Kendall Fuller led in receptions? Yeah. I want to say it was Kendall Fuller. Um, so, yeah, I just think this offense is just going to look completely different. I thought those picks really fit what Chicago is trying to do really well because – so James Daniels is going to play guard, and that's because they basically let Justin walk, right? So I think that's a really good – like if you if you give me the option of, okay, let Josh Sitton walk, but you're also going to get James Daniels in the second round, I feel like that's a pretty good trade-off long-term. Yep. I I, I think I think that uh, – like I really – I mean we, we talked about this in the group chat the other day we were arguing about it, but I, I really like where Chicago is like on paper. And now it's just time to see if all the pieces can gel together. Uh, the ninth overall pick – God, I'm like dying today. You dying? Yeah. Uh, it's going to the San Francisco, went to the San Francisco 49ers. They kind of surprised everyone and took uh, Mike McGlinchey, a tackle from Notre Dame, but it made a little bit more sense because they shipped uh, Trent Brown off to New England the next day. So uh, they got an offensive tackle who really fits Shannon's scheme. I mean, he's, he's, I thought he moved pretty well, pretty athletic. I don't really know if he's like a top 10 type of talent, but if they were planning on getting rid of, of Trent Brown, you can't really just leave a hole there at right tackle. Right, especially what they had beforehand. Yeah. And then they they added Dante Pettis in the second round. I wonder, how do you think that Sanford – so you're you're more familiar with Shani and his scheme than I am um, just because you watched him in Atlanta. 
So how do you how do you think Dante Pettis is going to fit into that scheme immediately? Because right now they have Pierre Garcon, who's you know long time possession receiver, Marquise Goodwin, who's kind of like newfound breakout speed receiver, and then Trent Taylor, who's kind of working in the slot. So what kind of role does that even leave Pettis if we're going to assume that? You know, he's even going to play a tight end, you know, even though he he really fed the ball to George Kettle uh, in terms of, you know, for a rookie tight end. And then he's pay, paying Kuzchek all this money at fullback. So, like, where does Dante Pettis even get these reps? Or is he just going to take them completely from Trent Taylor or is, like, Pierre Garcon, like, on the way out the door? What do you think is going to happen? I think Garcon is probably on the way out the door uh, just because of his age. But I, I really don't know how much to even expect from Dante Pettis this year, just because because he he could be a wide receiver four, right? Like this year, it would not surprise anyone. I don't think. No, just because they have they have a lot of guys that contributed for them last year, so I just I don't really know how he's going to fit in. But uh, just looking at him, you know, it's kind of interesting because has has Shani ever had a receiver like Dante Pettis? Like just looking back, maybe a Kevin Walter in Houston, like a big guy who's probably not the most explosive, but he's going to make plays, but. I'm trying to think of like a, re- a receiver like Pettis because usually when you look at Shanahan receivers, at least what he's tried to acquire is like all these guys can really run. So, you know, they go out and they draft George Kittle, they extend Marquise Goodwin, uh, they get Jarek McKinnon. Like he's looking for guys that can really make plays after the catch. And I don't know if that's if that's Pettis's calling card. No, I, I wouldn't. Because the thing is, he was a, he was a flashy punt returner, right? But punt returns and kick returns are very different. I think we talked about this before. Where kick returns is more like straight line speed, and then punt returns is more like I gotta make you miss once, which I I think kind of describes Pettis's game pretty good. Um, just between that and then his red zone work, both him and John Ross were type of guys who can do the whole sluggo thing in the red zone, right? Where it was basically like I'm taking a slant step, and then if you don't bite on that immediately, then I'm going to just going to run a fade. And that's how they both dominated in the red zone. So it would surprise me if he ended up taking that role. It's just very, like, like I said, it's just very hard for me to think of who he's going to be at the next level when they already have a speed guy on the outside and they already kind of already have a, a slot guy. Yeah. I feel like he, he might've just been like Garcon insurance where when he leaves, you have someone who's already been in the offense for a year. You can just plug him in Uh spot. I really don't think Pettis is going to do do that much this year uh the 10th overall pick originally belonged to the oakland raiders who had a really strange draft like if you look at their picks in reverse order it almost makes more sense but uh they took they traded back with the cardinals they took colton miller at 15 you're a little bit more optimistic about colton miller than i am and this really just comes off his athletic testing right yeah that's just basically it guys guys with that athletic profile don't end up busting really like when people think of athletic guys who bust it's guys like greg robinson who actually weren't any good in any of the short area you know testing basically and colton miller dominated in that so really like when you look at offensive linemen athletic offensive linemen do hit way more than on athletic offensive linemen the problem is we're just kind of really bad at measuring like what actually matters colton miller did well in the drills that actually matter. The problem is he's super raw. He's basically like Jason Spriggs at this point. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he does develop into that top-tier left tackle that they draft him to be, but I think early on you're going to have some pretty ugly growing pains. And you know, I, I think that – okay, so when you look at their draft and they get P.J. Hall in the second round, they trade up for him. Uh, that was kind of crazy, but I think you've got to feel a little bit better about it by 
by being able to get Maurice Hurst in the fifth round. Uh, so you look at Hurst, PJ Hall. I think that's a good duo if you just look at the collection of players that they got. Not really where they drafted him. I I don't get taking Arden Key in round three. Like, are you are you really that desperate for for a pass rusher? They they kind of are because they drafted goddamn Mario Edwards Jr. a couple years ago, and then they went back with Jihad Ward in the second round. I think so. They they kind of do need that pass rusher. The thing with Arden Key though is like. He was a dude who ballooned up to 280, then showed up to the combine at 230, and then didn't even really perform at 230. He ran 40. So I, for his for his size, that's not a very good number at all. That's an awful number. Like if you're so he was okay. six. I thought you were trying to say that that was a good number, and I was like, man, that's a good number for like a defensive tackle. That's not a good number for a guy who's basically outside linebacker sized in a four three defense. So yeah, so he he keys to- just like there's so many red flags, man that. I'm I'm rooting for him. I mean, I don't have anything against the guy, but trusting him with the top 100 pick is like, that's a legitimate flyer. Yeah. So Arden Key, he measured in at six five. I mean, basically six five, 238 pounds. He ran. Uh, he had a one seven one seven five ten yard dash, a four eight eight forty yard dash, uh, seven one six three cone. Nine nine broad jump four two five forty uh, twenty yard shuttle. I mean, so these are just like not very good numbers at all. Thirty one inch vertical. So he's just not an athletic player. He's not a big player like where you can just put him out there to anchor on the on the edge of the line of scrimmage. He's just like athletically, he's not really anything. And then you kind of put the like all the stuff in his past from LSU and the suspensions behind that. I just I I, I thought he was going to go undrafted, but you know the Raiders ended up taking him in the third round uh, and trading up for him. So I, I really don't have any faith in that pick working, but, you know, John Green, we're going to make the jokes while we can. Uh, the next question. We only have 10 years, so. Yeah, 10 years, $100 million. So 10 years worth of jokes. Uh, the next pick is uh, Mika Fitzpatrick to the Miami Dolphins. What do you think about the Dolphins draft class? Because we have a question from our pal Hoots if uh, Jacecki and Fitzpatrick can both win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I mean, I don't think Jacecki has a shot at it at all, but Fitzpatrick has a chance, like, if he starts every game and plays, like, 90% of the defensive snaps. Yeah, I would say Fitzpatrick has a shot. If you look at even second-round rookie tight ends, uh, like, Jacecki is probably going to have, like, 300 yards this year. Like, let's be let's be extremely real. Right. Um, there, aren't, there aren't even that many rookie tight ends who have had, like, 500 yards. So I, I wouldn't really expect that much from Gusecki that early on. The thing that I thought was funny is I wrote that piece for Bleacher Report. And got to say, man, patting myself on the back a little bit because I did pretty good on it. Um, the uh, general manager tendencies, right? And one of the things that I looked at was like Miami, Tannenbaum early in the draft. And he basically – like like more guys get drafted from smaller schools, mid-majors, you know, even FCS teams than you think in the top 100 – have you looked at what Miami's draft class has been made out of? The first four picks, Alabama, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Like if you told me Tannenbaum legitimately just looks at he, – he like visits 20 programs and then he just lets you know scouts run day three, I would believe you. Yeah. I mean I, I, I don't really have anything to add on the Dolphins draft. I didn't watch any of these other guys they drafted. Uh, so- you don't watch Keelan Ballage? You don't watch. I, I, I did watch him a little bit, but I mean, I don't even know if he knows how to play football. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the next team, the Buffalo Bills, they took the world's darling, Josh Allen. They traded up uh, with Tampa Bay to get him. 
what like okay I think the, the interesting part with Josh Allen is how many games does he start this year and does he start the most of all the rookie quarterbacks yes. and I think he yes. does because his bar of entry is so low like all he has to do is be his out. competition is AJ McCarron and Nathan Peterman he's going to start every single game right uh yeah so I think like when people from like these rabid Buffalo fans who say he's not going to play this year I think you are sorely mistaken I think he's going to play a lot there's a reason why Vegas gave him uh his over under for starts was 10.5 so you know like like I like we just said his bar for entry is very low but that's just not it's not a good situation for him and to be fair it's not a good situation for any rookie quarterback because they have an abysmal offense outside of Shady like they don't have anything there uh, so, you know, he's going to be running for his life with receivers that can't separate or get open, but you drafted, like, a tall quarterback who, like, I mean, and the thing is, you know, if you're going to say last year the supporting cast wasn't good and that's why he didn't produce, well, look what you've gave him this year. Like, it's it's nothing, and they're probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league, so I don't really get how you can be confident about Josh Allen working out at all just when you look at the situation he's been put into and you know, the history of guys with his, uh, I guess, level of quote-unquote production pe- uh, panning out in the NFL, but he's going to play a lot this year, and hearts out to him. Well, no, because he, he just became a millionaire, so good luck. Uh, they drafted Trey Main Edwards in the first round. He's, like, the youngest player to ever get drafted. I liked him a lot, you know, just when you look at his size, his frame, his speed, his instincts. Uh, I was a pretty big fan of him, and to get him in the first round was, you know, probably the best player I mean, I mean, he's definitely a better prospect than Josh Allen, but that was—I thought that was a pretty strong pick for them. Yeah, Harrison Phillips is an interesting guy. He was a third-round pick out of Stanford. He's more of a nose tackle guy who doesn't really have that much juice, but you know, it's a lot of upper body strength is basically his game. Um, that's an interesting situation to me, just because I don't know how you fit him, Kyle Williams who's kind of lost a step at this point, if we're going to be super real about it. And the star Ludalele, who's better as a nose tackle or a one tech, um, better than a three tech at this point. So they kind of have three guys who are kind of more strong than quick, I would say, at this point in their careers. And then they also are ba- are starting, uh, what's his name? The, the the guy that they got from Washington, he's playing defensive end now for them. Um, Lorenzo. I'm going to look it up. No, no, no. So Lorenzo oh, uh, Alexander is playing off the of, yeah, 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 yeah. Trent Murphy, Trent Murphy. So they're they're kind of like so like even like you said, Lorenzo Lorenzo Alexander was a guy who's playing uh, outside three four outside linebacker for him, is playing off ball linebacker for him now. Um, so they're kind of like way too big at too many positions. Like the only speed that they really have in that box right now, relative to what the positions are, are going to be Edmonds and are going to be uh, Jerry Hughes. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, I think the Bills, their defensive talent looks pretty solid, but their offense is just abysmal. That's probably going to take they them. De- they, definitely, they definitely have made strides since the Saints ran like 28 times against them in a row. Yeah, that was, I mean, if you like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if we, we probably did speak about it during the season, but if you haven't, go back and watch that Saints-Bills game. There's a stretch in, I want to say, the third quarter where the, where the Saints ran like 20 rushing plays in a row and like each one was ripping off like eight to 10 yards at a time. It was it was pretty pretty beautiful to watch. Uh, next team, Washington Redskins, they picked Deron Payne in the first round with the 13th overall pick. I mean, to me, it's kind of like the same thing with Vea. Better in theory than in practice, but Jim Tomsula legitimately- the thing, the, thing with, the thing with Payne is at least you saw the upside with Payne, right? Yeah. Like you, you saw the complete dominant flashes a few times, 
the issue was consistency. Um, I think we've seen we've seen a history of inconsistent guys go to Washington and flame out, but uh, we'll see. I I didn't like either of these two picks going back to back. You know, nose tackles going that high, but I do have more faith in Payne being a guy who in five six years we look back and say, okay, that was one of the top fifteen guys in that draft class. Than I do with Vea. Yeah, and you know, I I think that Payne landed in a better spot than Vea just because you know it, it's fun to look back at Jim Tumsula's 49ers career and just kind of laugh because it was a failure. But uh, he's legitimately a very good defensive line coach. I I think he's one yeah. of the better in the league. And just like when you look at how guys have kind of developed under him, I, I I think that if there was any place for Payne to reach his potential, Washington was definitely one of the few places. Uh, the next. Next team, your Green Bay Packers had the 14th pick, but they traded uh, down and up the first round. <clears throat> Excuse me. My goodness. I, I do. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just. Uh, how about you? Go, you talk about the Packers. I'm going to drink some water real quick. Uh, the Green Bay Packers traded back from 14 to 28, and then up to 18 for Jair Alexander. Um, they basically between trades with the New Orleans Saints and Seattle Seahawks. Basically got Jair Alexander for a third-round pick, which is like one of the greatest magic tricks I've ever seen on draft day, to be totally frank. So I think Jair Alexander early on is probably going to play in the slot, probably going to cover you know, quicker, quicker than fast, I would say. Number two wide receivers for the Packers. I think they're going to rotate their DBs a lot just because between Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Kevin King, and Tremont Williams coming back on like a $15 million contract or something like that. Um, they they have four guys who you know, based on their pedigree, should be expected to start. Um, but only three of them are really going to see the field. Uh, like I said, Josh Jackson he fell to the second round. I thought he was going to be kind of like a parachute selection in the in the first round if the draft board didn't shake out right. So getting him in the second, I was pretty happy with that personally. Oren Book Bro- Burks, I'll get it at some point. Burks, the linebacker from Vanderbilt, is basically like a nickel linebacker. Um, I do not think that that guy's going to be a three-down linebacker. He's a converted safety. He kind of plays like a converted safety. I think he's going to play a specific role and special teams for him. And then a lot of people are really hype about Jamon Moore, the fourth-round pick out of uh, Missouri, um, just because the Packers, you know, Z's spot is so bad right now. But, man, the 133rd pick and the 15th wide receiver off of the board, um, that there's not often that that guy contributes much as a rookie. So I or kind ever. of think that – yeah. Like, to be totally honest, like, people are super high on the Packers wide receivers, like, rookies. And, like, I, I just see fantasy Twitter talk about them. Was Jamon Moore, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and uh, Equinamia St. Brown, all three of those guys were drafted by the Packers this year. Um, two of those guys were drafted after a punter, it should be noted. Uh, but everyone thinks that, you know, one of those three guys is going to start opposite of Devontae Adams, you know, on the outside. And to be totally honest, I think that is going to be Geronimo Allison, and they're going to draft a wide receiver next year or buy one. Yeah. I, it, what's interesting to me is I I really do like the Pettin hire as defensive coordinator just because when you look at when Pettin has actually had a role in calling plays, like he's had pretty much top five pass defense every time. Uh, the one year right. it kind of slipped away was when Jim O'Neill, who is I think the worst defensive coordinator to ever be in the NFL, uh you know, he saw once he kind of took more reins in the head in the head uh, coach department. Jim O'Neill took over, and that defense fell off a cliff. And then just saw, just look at what Jim O'Neill did 
in San Fran- in San Francisco in the 2016 season. I think they gave up uh, like almost 200 rushing yards per game, made a streak of like 14, like 13 or 1400 yard rushing for the season. So that really wasn't on him. But what's interesting about a patent scheme to me and the rookies is they're going to be asked to play a lot of man covers this year, just because that's yeah, Penn, Penn's mo. And when you look at who the like teams with good receivers that the Packers are going to face, obviously you know you got the Bears, Vikings, and Lions in your division. Uh, Washington's kind of tricky. The 49ers, like we talked about, they can cause matchup issues. The Rams, the Patriots, uh, the Falcons. So like it's really going to be a trial by fire, and I think you're going to learn real quick. Which is one of those, like, real quick, uh, who's going to stick between Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander? I, I, don't, I don't really know how I like Josh Jackson's fit in that scheme. but In that he, scheme, yeah. I feel the same way. I think that him and, him and Kevin King, right, because Kevin King plays cornerback like, you know, what do they call him, Vice? The Vice guys on the punt, on the punt return team where like you that. basically just jam guys on the outside. He plays cornerback like that. So I think uh, Jamal Williams – did really, really, really well for the Arizona Cardinals last year. I'm happy that he got time by the Packers. I think him and Alexander are clearly the most talented guys, but I think Alexander, just because of his height, isn't probably going to be matched up against guys like like a Julio Jones, for example, right? I don't think you would line those two up against each other. So one of King or Jackson is going to have to kind of be like the big body cover and man-on-man coverage type of receiver. Because right now, so like, let's say – like a guy like Devin Funches, right? Where he's not necessarily like a number one receiver in terms of like how we think of him as a talent, but him lining up against Jair Alexander right now is a mismatch where it might not be with like Kevin King or Josh Jackson. I think that's the role that they provide in this team. But if we're just talking about like pure man on man cornerback can line up against anyone, I really don't like Josh Jackson in that role at the same time either. Yeah, but at, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that where you just need it something so bad you kind of got to take a swing at it uh the next team is the arizona cardinals the only team the only like pick we really need to talk about is josh rosen i i love it <laughs> uh, i think they got their quarterback of the future i'm team josh rosen you know if you go back if you have a chance go back and listen to uh uh steve wilkes he was on adam Schefter's podcast and he just talked about how they love Josh Rosen's personality and, you know, they kind of fell in love with him from the first time they met him. And yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting based on like what all the media reports were with, with Rosen. But I, I you know, I, I think he's, I think he's got a pretty good chance to play this year too, just because he's got, you know, Sammy sleeves who's made of glass at this point playing in front of him uh, in a pretty, I mean, I, I they're often the lines better about it. I still don't love it. So I think Josh Rosen is going to play a decent amount this year, just based off opportunity, injury opportunity. And, I, I really just like the fit and the pick for them. I think Arizona's just a funny spot just because, like, they're kind of a meme of a general manager team at this point, right? Like, the, the team the, – the guys that they select are always, like, one-off, like, quote-unquote character issues, but, like, in the way, like, normal people think they're not actually character issues, right? So, like, Josh Rosen had, like – oh, he has, like, a long driveway and lived in, like, a three-story house. It's like – Oh, yeah, we're just going to draft that guy. Yeah, Christian Kirk was throwing, like, rocks. Yeah, okay, we're just going to draft that guy. And then they just come around and, like, yeah, we're going to definitely take, like, a running back from the Patriot League in the fourth round. Like, yeah, that's totally normal for us. Like, they're just kind of, like, chaos, don't care what anyone else in the league thinks. And I always appreciate that about that team. Yep. Uh, next team, Baltimore Ravens. They drafted – okay, here's the, the funny thing about the Ravens to me is – so they traded up to get – or no, no, no. They stood packed to get Hayden to draft Hayden first with a twenty fifth overall pick. A, a, 
you know, a 25-year-old tight end from South Carolina. And then they traded back into the first round at 32 to draft Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, obviously Heisman Trophy winner, our, one of our favorite quarterbacks in the draft. But why didn't they just take Lamar Jackson at 25? Because, like, wouldn't it just make more sense to just take the quarterback there? I think that if the Ravens knew that at 86, Mark Andrews was going to be there, I think they would have taken Lamar at 25, right? Yeah, and then, you know, from everything that we're hearing, they were pretty torn between Hayden Hurst and Calvin Ridley with their 25th overall pick. They end up taking Hurst, uh, and then they come back in the first round and take Lamar Jackson. Now, you know what's, what's really interesting, or not interesting to me, because I'm just not surprised by it, but you've heard uh, just over rookie minicamp, doesn't mean much, but... Uh, you hear John Harbaugh just talk about like how quickly Lamar Jackson is picking up the playbook, and my thing is like, what did you expect? Like he played for Bobby Petrino, who made his offense in the NFL. So it's like it's funny when when people were talking about, oh, I don't know how he's gonna transition to an NFL offense. I mean, he played in one in college, so I really Joe Flacco plays in this offense. It's not gonna be an issue. I promise. He's not very good at football. He's been starting for years. So. Yeah, uh, and I think we did have a question on how many starts do we think Lamar gets this year. Uh, Oh, not quite, but this is from Secretary of Balloon Doggies at Balloon Doggy at Balloon underscore Doggy. How can we get Flacco to go away in a non-Tanya Harding way? See, I think with Flacco, obviously, you can't trade him because his contract is so bad. June 1st him now. June 1st him now and just, like, rip the Band-Aid off. All they got to do is find, like, $3 million and they don't have to think about him anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's I would just either – if you're not going to cut him, just – pretend he doesn't exist because he doesn't anymore now that Lamar is on the roster uh but I guess I guess like what you said I if he's if his relationship with Lamar Jackson like they haven't even spoken and obviously if you're Flacco just put yourself in his shoes you're obviously kind of salty about that I don't even know like if you need him to be around Lamar at all if he if this is gonna be like the tension between them you know yeah uh, so, that's fine. Let Flacco go. That's fine. I've been saying this for several years. So yeah, he stinks. Uh, the next team, the Los Angeles Chargers, picked Derwin James in the first round, and we have a question about uh, the Chargers from Mansoor, lifelong Cat fans at Mansoor Shihan, a good Brown football writer. You should follow him. Uh, is the Chargers defense too good for them to screw it up this year? And to my question, and my answer to that question is. There is nothing too good that the Chargers can't screw up. You know, even on paper last year, they had, like, they finished as a really good defense by both our numbers uh, on the update. They finished really high in football outside of DVOA numbers. So, you know, it's just kind of some, like, Chargers shit, some unlucky shit that always happens to them that kind of tanks them. But, I mean, obviously, this is a super-duper talented defense. We know their defensive line is stacked. Uh, now they're adding Derwin James into a secondary. They always already featured Casey Hayward. Uh, and low-key, uh, across from Casey Hayward, Trevor Williams, their cornerback, I think he was a rookie UDFA, he really, really played well for them towards the end of the year. So, I mean, Jason they have, Verrett's going to come back, hopefully. Yeah, and play like three plays. Uh, you know, Jason Verrett, has only, he's only played like, I don't even know if he's played 20 he's played games. 16, he's played 16 games in three years, I think. Yeah, so I don't really know how much he Just can that count that bum there. shoulder, man. That bum shoulder got to him. But, yeah, Trevor Williams was a nice surprise for them last year. They have a really good secondary now with James, but there's nothing too good that the Chargers can't screw up. Uh, who else did they did they grab in the draft that's worth they, it? They drafted Uchenna and Wusu, who's going to be like a hybrid linebacker pass rusher for them. Um, I wouldn't surprise me if he was their third pass rusher because they let Chris McCain go for whatever reason. They had him as an exclusive rights tender. They tagged him, and then 
for some reason they couldn't come to an agreement and they just let him walk. He ended up signing with the Indianapolis Colts, who kind of have like, and this is a really nerdy podcast, so we need to talk about this. The Indianapolis Colts kind of have like six pass rushers who like would be number three pass rushers for any team in the league. Um, but they're all like duking it out with each other, and I can't really tell who's even going to start there. So he, Chris McCain's one of those guys. But so Jenna Wusu, it wouldn't surprise me if he played off-ball linebacker just because those guys were so bad last year, or if he was their third pass rusher. So he's kind of in that spot, kind of like we talked with Lorenzo Carter, where it's kind of there, there's room to breathe at two different spots for him. Yeah, and just you know, now that you you bring up the Colts again, I, I wanted I did want to hit on uh, Kamoko Ture a little bit just because i think it was what two years ago i think it was after like three years ago it was he was a freshman yeah three years ago we like we were watching him and thinking like oh my god this guy's gonna be the next like great thing just because like when you watched him turn the corner he was like he was like vaughn the way he could like detach his upper half from his lower half and yes man get around and then and like you come back and you see him if you believe his pro day numbers which i'm inclined to because why not and who cares they Um, were they were so ridiculous that if they were even a little bit flinched like they're still great yeah and yeah and but when you watch him play and you actually see like how athletic he is like it it does make sense that he was able to get you know like a six eight three cone or whatever so I, i think when you like when you get that kind of upside as a pass rusher, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he comes on and has a pretty decent rookie year as just a pass rusher. Uh, he w- he would have been a force player if I had official numbers and counted that for what whatever that's worth. Yeah. Uh, so the next team is the Seattle Seahawks, and we can start this off by answering a question. Uh, from God, why am I so bad at this today? Uh, from Ice at Mikhail underscore Ice, worst first round selection. Which team has improved uh, the most solely through the draft? And the next question from Mister Paul Kazni: Did someone really offer a Seattle a trade for Penny? I mean, really? I so if we're gonna talk about the Seahawks draft, I don't like. Why did they take Penny in the first round? Because you're looking at a team that had so many needs just with how they're kind of reshuffling the roster. They don't, they still don't really have an offensive line. They're kind of going through a rebuilding in the secondary. So obviously for them to trade down uh, originally with Green Bay made sense, but then to come back and take Penny at 27, like how, how does that help you today? Uh, I would think that, I would assume that their line of thinking is that you get better in the running game by adding a running back and not an offensive lineman, which is not uh, our worldview, I would say, right? Um, but the Seattle Seahawks didn't have a single running back last year who in the in the what is it inside the ten had a positive yards per carry. Every single one of them either had zero or negative yards. So I would assume that that probably had a lot to do with this pick. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still looking But they could have used that. an offensive lineman. Right. The cause... first offensive lineman they drafted was 168th overall. He's probably not going to start at all this year. Like, do you hate Russell Wilson? I yeah, don't, like... and I mean, the, the, like, everyone knows by now that offensive line has more to do with running game. Like, offensive line and quarterback have more to do with running game than running backs do. So to spend right. the 27th overall pick on a running back when you have so many other needs just, just doesn't really make sense. And then... I don't really. I don't know how you feel about Rasheem Green. I didn't like his tape like at all. Uh, he was a guy who passed force players technically, but he's like on the heavier side of things. And more guys pass if they're on the heavier side of things than if they're on the lighter side of things. I would say so. Like he's kind of a guy like Scott Crichton. If you if you I wanted yeah. to make a comparison to, you know, just athletic testing and like body size. 
Um, but I like Crichton a lot more than I like Green coming out, to be totally honest. I usually end up skewing towards like the force players guys being more valuable. But Green was a guy who, like, when I saw it on film, so like in Wusu, right, who's like a hybrid linebacker end, Green is more of like a hybrid tackle end. Um, they basically, like, Green had more production than in Wusu somehow in terms of tackles for a loss and sacks at USC. But when you watch it on film, and Wusu was the way better guy. So I, I really don't know what to do with Green. Um, third round is probably a little too high, but if it was the fourth round, I wouldn't think twice about it. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, athletic flyer who had production at USC, might as well draft him. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I guess there's not that much for me to bitch about for a guy who was picked like 80th. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely ordering a Shaq Griffin jersey. He was a fifth round pick, one hand. I mean, oh boy, yeah. I'm buying I, a Michael Dixon jersey. I re- I really do think that that Griffin is going to be a pretty good NFL player. Like I'm not, I'm uh, really just not do, worried about that. Do you know what the Seattle Seahawks got back from Michael Bennett? Uh, it was a sixth round pick, I believe. Punter Michael Dixon out of uh, Texas. That's frustrating. Like, I, I, see, the thing is, like, you know, like P, our, our good pal Mike Renner at PFF Mike, he had that tweet about. Just looking at, like, I think it was, like, the past seven or ten years at fifth-round picks I hit, and it was, like, ten guys. So if you can trade that pick for Michael Bennett, you do that pretty much every time. Yeah, I, they, they would not. Like, if I ran a team, I would try to punt fifth, sixth, and seventh-round picks as fast as possible for veterans. And then if I was on the clock, I would just – I think I've said this before on this podcast. I would just give them out to scouts for, like, morale, right? Like, oh, this guy really wants that guy. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. It doesn't matter anyway. We'll take the uh, the first or fourth round picks, and then in the fifth, you know, fifth on, you guys can go pick the small school players you guys like. You know, what was interesting was, uh, I don't remember where I saw this. Uh, I wanted, I don't remember who said it either. Jeez, Christ, my memory's failing. But he was, it was somebody talking about how the small school players tend to be the guys that hit on day three, just because, you know, if you... It was like small school, like injured guys... Yeah, I I, rem- I saw that tweet too. It was yeah. some former NFL guy who was saying that it was like small school guys, injured guys, and then guys who can't piss clean or something like that. Yeah, and I thought that that was a pretty interesting point. Like he he said, you know, if you're looking at a guy from Ohio State, uh, he's you know the biggest like prototypical size, elite athleticism, and he's sitting there in the sixth round. And there's probably a reason why. Like there's not you know teams aren't just going to miss on a guy from that high profile school that often. So. Like, you want to take right. the smallest tool guys uh, once you get into that portion of the draft, which I thought was kind of an interesting point. In the, it, it kind of rings true, like, when you just go back and look at the draft history. Uh, the next team, Dallas Cowboys, they picked Leighton Van Der Esch uh, out of Boise State in the first round. I mean, I, I think he's a really good player. I don't know if this pick made sense immediately for Dallas just because... He's know. the Sean Lee long-term replacement, I would say, because one of... Either Vander Esch or Jalen Smith are going to have to be coming off the bench for a majority of snaps next season. Yeah, uh, I did like picking Tyron Williams in the second round. Like I don't, I don't really know who I would have picked at at nineteen, but I just feel like when you look at Dallas's roster, there's just better uses of that pick than a linebacker. Just because, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know who I would have picked either. I probably would have looked at wide receiver though. That's one thing that I would say because right now they're leaning on like the only thing that is stopping Terrence Williams from being the number two wide receiver on that team. Not even number number two targeted player, period, on that team 
the player who third the skill offensive skill player who has the ball the third most amount of time in that offense will be Terrence Williams unless Michael Gallup steps steps up and he was the 81st overall pick. Yeah, so I mean, I I thought DJ Moore would have been a good fit there. Just when you look at the type of players that Dak could win with, someone who's kind of gonna play in the short game and take those passes the distance. Like I don't really think Dez was a good fit for Dak as a as a passer, but. You know, they got Van Der Esch, who's a solid player, and then they came back and got a receiver in the third round with Michael Gallup. So, you know, I I, I do like Connor Williams as a guard, and, you know, like it, it feels like the, the, the Cowboys, their only area on the team that they have a clear plan is on the offensive line, uh, just in terms of replacing talent, in terms of, like, how they look at future contracts. But outside of that, they, they're just kind of a mess everywhere else. Yeah, they're they're messed up in a lot of contract situations. Like you're not understating it. Basically, they know how to draft and pay an offensive linemen, and then they got lucky with Dak. I mean, extremely lucky. And the, it's so dumb because Dak, he's he's the, even this year he's still making only like less than nine hundred thousand dollars. And you know, this is the roster. Oh yeah, you're gonna you know this is a guy who finished top five in QBR and just you know, is a lot better than people give him credit for. So if you have a guy who's good and making under a million, it's kind of disappointing that this is the roster that you're going to wind up putting around him before you end up having to give him big money. Because, I mean, basically they've shown that they, they I like, I don't really know how you have faith in them managing the roster once Dak gets that, that extension. I, if, if I'm Dak, I sure hope that they don't pay Zeke also. Oh, they're going like, to pay Zeke. That... <laughs> Jerry is if, if, oh, God. I'm about to say something awful. I'm about to say if Jerry's still alive when Zeke's up for the extension, he's definitely paying him. But I uh, uh, next up, the Detroit Lions. Yeah. they picked uh, 20th overall. <laughs> and they drafted uh, Frank Ragnow, the center out of Arkansas. He might be able to play guard for him too because he played that. Uh, if you watch the Alabama game, I watched all of Alabama's uh, SEC slate because I wanted to look at their pass rushers and defensive linemen just because they had so many guys on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Ragnow against Alabama is like a fucking highlight reel if we're talking about on the relative scale of like offensive line games, right? Ragnow really shows out in that. Then in the second round, they came back with Karrion Johnson, the running back out of Auburn. Uh, later on in the draft, they drafted Terrell Crosby, who was a guy who was kind of stronger than quick, uh, limited by athleticism, offensive tackle, and then they also drafted a fullback. So I feel like we can safely say that, uh, all of the jokes about Reggie Bush being the last Detroit Lions 100-yard rusher uh, have kind of worn down this team, and they just finally said, fuck it, we're just not going to be an embarrassment in the run game anymore. Yeah, uh, Ragno, I love Ragno. Ragno, he's just he's just a fucking bully out there. I mean, like, if you're not going to get Quentin Nelson, I think Ragno's a pretty good, you know, drop-off from there, like, in the 20s. Uh, his game is just a lot of fun to watch. And I think you look at the... The Lions offense, it just kind of needed a, a little infusion of physicality and nastiness. So I really like Ragno. Uh, Deshaun handpick was kind of confusing me just because I don't really know how he fits in this defense. Are you just going to play that D tackle? At hand? Hand is very weird, right? Because hand was bad before he got. Well, all the tape after he got hurt is pretty trash, to be totally honest. The stuff before he got hurt is decent, but the issue is he's always a step away and he has to get bigger and gain that step. Which is like, it, like legitimately, if he was a step faster, he would be million, like tens of million dollars richer. Um, so I don't know. He's kind of in a weird spot where it's like, yeah, you just have to get a little bit bigger and a little bit faster and you'll be fine. Which 
he was at Alabama for like four or five years. So, yeah. Uh, next team, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, who picked Billy Price in the first round. I, I, I mean, Billy Price is a good player, and just when you look at the news from his torn pectoral, he's not going to miss any of training camp. So that was a solid pick for them. I, I, I mean, and their biggest issue coming into the offseason was you got to fix the offensive line. So you got Cordy Glenn, who's a really good tackle when healthy, and Billy Price. So, so that's going to help. Um, that's that's really the only like big takeaway that I had from the draft. Like you just had to get better than the offensive line this offseason, and they did. Yeah, I really don't have that many. T- so I didn't watch Jesse Bates' the safety out of uh, Wake Forest. I saw a lot of people no. like him, but I'm not really trying to watch DBs. I'm going to be totally honest. The safeties are the guys that you're not going to hear me talk about like at all. Um, Sam Hubbard is okay. Uh, that pick kind of worries me because I don't know. Like they they're going to fuck up Carl Lawson, man. They're going to make him play linebacker because they they've gone back to the Cincinnati Bengals like tall defensive end. Me. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Um, I mean, Carl Lawson. He was was he the best rookie pass rusher last year besides Miles Garrett, or maybe if you, if well, you so want to include him. It's it's kind of hard to tell, right? Because Carl Lawson, I think like three of his sacks came against the Packers practice squad guy who got moved up the week that he had to play left tackle because both like somehow both of the Packers starting offensive tackles and their swing tackle were like on the uh, what do you call it? Like the injury report. And then none of them played. So, like, the day before the game, they had to rip a guy off a practice squad and start him against Carl Lawson. And Carl Lawson just beat him to shit. So, kind of hard to tell what he's going to look like against legitimate NFL left tackles, especially with the amount of reps that he got in Cincinnati his rookie year. But when he was on the field, he was definitely efficient. Uh, Yep. So, next, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were originally the owners of the 22nd overall pick. Uh, And I, I don't understand what they did. Uh, Me either. Obviously, like it's it's a little harder when you don't have a first round pick, and I I think that they're okay with not having a first round pick because they're pretty confident in Mahomes. But Breland speaks, Derek Nandi, Dorian O'Daniel. I like why. First of all, why did they trade up for Breland Beeks in the second round at pick forty six? Like, <laughs> no, no one talked about him even as a top one hundred player uh, coming into this draft. So that was kind of an interesting situation. Um, they also said Speaks, who I believe is somewhere in the 270 280 range, is going to be playing outside linebacker for him and then kick inside. So that means basically we've been saying, you know, we need another legitimate pass rusher or an athletic guy, you know, not named not D Ford or Frank Zombo playing opposite of Justin Houston because Justin Houston is just dropping back into coverage way too often. And what the Kansas City Chiefs said was, fuck you. You, we're gonna drop. We're gonna drop Justin Houston in the coverage for this Breland Speaks guy, and that's a very odd. I don't know. That's just a very odd decision to me. When they they basically went in the direction that I would have said, absolutely do not do that, right? And then they got Derek Natty, who like he's not a bad player, but he's definitely run orientated uh, first and foremost. And in that um, in that defensive line rotation, it's hard for me to think that he's gonna be more than anything more than a guy who comes off the bench. Yeah, uh, and they they just really need some guys to step up. Like, like Chris Jones needs to kind of take that next step. D Ford needs to get back into his twenty sixteen form. Uh, they really it was just a need, fluke. Yeah, it was a it fluke. Was, it was a fluke. It was it was a fluke. But still, like you just kind of need some help with, from some other guys. So, uh, Speaks and Nandi, they're probably gonna have to come in and make a pretty immediate impact because this defense is like Spe- Speaks might have like Speaks. He's probably not gonna start 
but I would guess that he's probably going to play something like 50-60% of the snaps just based off of that flex role alone where he can kind of spell guys like Chris Jones. He could spell guys uh, like D Ford, like Justin Houston. So it's not like he's not going to be on the field. He's just not going to be, a, you know, a quote-unquote starter. Yeah. Uh, so let's be on the Chiefs draft. Don't really know what their plan was. But, okay, Mahomes should be fun to watch this year. The next team, uh, the L.A. Rams, who I think also did a pretty decent job despite not really having any picks in the draft. Uh, the first pick was Joseph Noteboom from TCU. Don't know anything about him. Uh, they drafted John Franklin from uh, – he's a defensive lineman from San – or St. Francis Austin. Stephen F. Austin. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin in a, <laughs> My God. You don't, you don't, well, you didn't see, get that? Because there's, there's a high school up here named St. Francis, so that's what I was thinking. But Stephen F. Austin, and I interviewed him at the combine. He's a pretty good guy, and he uh, he tested well, so maybe, you know, he doesn't have to do much with the guys in front of him, so maybe he's a guy that can come and make some splash plays as a rookie. But I think the, the guy that we all, like the two guys we had really heard of were, uh, Okoronko, the edge rusher from Oklahoma, and then John Kelly, running back from Tennessee. So, I mean, just like off the name brand, like they got some decent guys, uh, but now it's just going to be the how much of a role are they actually going to play this year? Yeah, and the thing about Okoronko, right? He's, he's a fifth round pick, but as far as fifth round picks go, he he could have pushed for playing time in two spots, I think, and it would have been New York and Los Angeles, like I said. Um, so, I, I he could be you know, a starter by week one, just because right now uh, the Rams starting pass rushers, I want to say, are Matt Longacre and then uh, Samson Ibukam, who, who was drafted in the fourth round last year out of Eastern Washington. So, um, but put some put some goddamn uh, respect on Joseph Notaboom's name. He's actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I didn't watch him. I didn't. I don't think I watched he, a single. He's PC one. Game he's one of those athletic offensive linemen guys that I stand for. So, okay. Um, I will say John Kelly, the running back out of Tennessee. Um, that's kind of an underrated move, honestly. I know a lot of people say, you know, they'll, they'll say Todd Gurley's the number one back. Why does the number two back matter at all? Um, but if you look at how that offense functions, if Todd Gurley gets hurt, which like running backs get get hurt, they get hurt a lot. Um, the guy coming off the bench would have been Malcolm Brown, and the jump from Malcolm Brown to John Kelly, I would say, is significant. So like they built themselves a nice safety net, and that's like. Six round, nice safety net. That's about as good as you can do. That's fine. Uh, so the next team is the Carolina Panthers. They picked DJ Moore in the first round, doubled up on corner on day two with Dante Jackson from LSU, Rashawn Golden from Tennessee. I didn't see a snap of Rashawn Golden, so I don't, I don't have any takes on that. And then they picked uh, Ian Thomas and Marquise Haynes uh, to round up the first four rounds. You know, the DJ Moore pick is interesting because I like DJ Moore as a player. I just don't know if his fit with Cam Newton makes a lot of sense because, you know, Moore's, I don't think Moore's a guy that's, you know, this deep threat who's going to track the ball deep. He's more of a, like a Percy Harvin type player where you give it to him short and see what he can do after the catch. And I, I always thought Cam kind of needed like another Ted Ginn type player to, to right. get back. They, need, they needed a Z and he, he's not necessarily a Z. Yeah. And DJ Moore, I, I, I think DJ Moore, is just kind of not a great fit for a Nerf Turner offense, but the thing with, with Moore is he tested really well and his metrics, like in terms of you know, what fantasy Twitter looks like, and they're, they're pretty good when it comes to nailing receivers. Like he, he's one of the best ever in terms of like market share and dominator and stuff like that. So maybe this works out, but like just on tape, I don't really see the fit there with, with Cam and, and North Turner. 
Yeah, I will say the only other comment that I have for this draft class, honestly, is Marquise Haynes is like 230 pounds. He's going to be playing 4-3 defensive end for him. And I didn't necessarily see that because I thought he was going to play linebacker. Yeah, I imagine they're going to be drafting the defensive end in the first round next year. They should because what? Julius is getting older, right? Uh, Mario Addison is fine. Uh, But Julius is getting older. Uh, I don't think so. But I'm not sure. They're they're going to need a Mario Addison replacement too down the line. Yeah, and it's not the dude from Texas A&M they drafted last year. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, they still need to get younger on the defensive line, but I, I, I like Dante Jackson uh, just as, like, an upside play. I don't really know much. I don't know anything about Golden, and I didn't watch Ian Thomas. So uh, the next team, Tennessee Titans, they traded up in the first round uh, three picks to get Rashawn Evans, the linebacker from Alabama. I, I think he's a decent player. I, I thought that his speed outside of the box was you – know, he was he was weird because when you watch – Evans as a freshman, he looked like a guy that almost ran a four four. But when he like, I thought this year, especially like on his range on outside runs, he kind of saw him get beat to the edge a little bit. So I I wasn't really too crazy about them trading up here. But I do think like in a in a scheme that's going to play similar fronts to Nick Saban, it, it makes sense. Yeah, um, I would say that the Evans stuff that really impressed me the most was not this past year, but the playoff series before. When he played against like Washington, right? Washington and Clemson, um, he looked really good, man. And he was playing like a pass rushing role, basically. And then, like, so so what I find really interesting is the Tennessee Titans jumped up twice in the first two rounds, right? Rashawn Evans and then Harold Landry, and both times it was like right before the Patriots picked. Do you think the Titans have like a sleeper cell in the Patriots organization who's like, yo, move up so we don't take Harold Landry? Like, I, I really – it was just a weird coincidence that both times that Tennessee moved up, it was to jump Bill Belichick, who, if you guys don't know, John Robinson used to be in New England for, like, 10 years or something like that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel kind of has that New England connection too, so. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. So could you imagine Twitter if Harold Landry was drafted by the Patriots in the second round? Ugh, I mean, I because mean, <laughs> they still have Derek Rivers in the fold who we're still high on. And, and, and I mean, the thing with Derek Rivers is he tore his ACL early enough yeah, in the he, season. He's just like hurt. Where, just hurt. Yeah. But he tore his ACL, I, I think it was like last summer. So he should be like all yeah. good to go for this season. Uh, so that's going to help. Getting Adrian Claiborne is going to help for the Patriots. And uh, I guess we can just want to talk about the Patriots now. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. Not yet. Uh before we get to the end, we have to talk about the Falcons first, who took Calvin Ridley in the first round. And, you know, the Ridley pick, I, I hated it at first, honestly. But as the draft kind of played out, and they ended up getting Isaiah Oliver in the second round, and uh, Deidre Sinat in the third round defensive tackle from UCF, who I didn't watch after the draft. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Like, we've spoken a lot about it in private, about how they're kind of building a program, you know? So, yeah. Uh, they're they're loading up on guys who are going to have to play in the future. I mean, you got you're going to have to make some decisions about Robert Alford, uh, Muhammad Sanu is probably on his last season, so you kind of have to get guys that are going to replace them for the future. So, even even the defensive tackle situation, like they ju- they signed uh, Terrell McLean post draft, right? Yeah. To play to play nose tackle for him, but I think it was only a one year deal, so we could be talking about. A 2019 when, you know, Ridley, Oliver, and Sinat all are start in the starting lineup. Even a guy like Ito Smith, right? I think uh, Tevin Coleman's in the contract year, right? Yeah. So or, Ito Smith could be a 
guy who's coming off the yeah. bench, coming off a you know a running back three role to a running back two role. Yeah. So I think all these guys next year we could see them like bump one step up that depth chart, which is if you're in a spot where where you're at with Atlanta, where like you have a bunch of young guys on the defensive side and you have a quarterback and an offensive line on the defensive side, why not just like make sure no one gets fired, keeps keep the checks coming. Yeah, and I, I think you know what's, what's interesting is I kind of hope that. Or not hope, but I I think it'd be interesting to see if they try to trade Devonta Freeman like next offseason. Because then, because I mean, I, I don't think it's a reach to say. I don't think it's a. Re- I don't know who would take the contract, but there are a lot of dumb teams in the NFL. I'm sure you could fleece one. Uh, but I just think it, it'd be interesting to see what Tevin Coleman could do as a lead back. Let me let let me fact check this Devonta Freeman. So next year it would be a nine million dollar dead cap. So I don't think that they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they, they, they'd have to eat money to trade him away, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I can't tell you how many times that has actually happened in real life. Yeah. Uh, so the next team is the New Orleans Saints, uh, who traded up to 13 with the Packers. I'm sure you touched on it earlier while I was drinking water, while I was dying. Uh, they traded away a first-round pick to trade up and go get Marcus Davenport. Marcus Davenport is a good player. I don't think he's trade up. Lose a first rounder. Good. They, they they treated him like he was the third overall pick. Is right. the issue right? So Which, so for, it's like div- divorced completely from who Marcus Davenport is and what you think of him. They treated the fourteenth overall pick like the third overall pick, and that's probably gonna hurt him. Right. So I mean, when you just look at their process there, I think it's safe to say they probably have Marcus Davenport as the best edge in the class and probably like a top three player on their board. Right. Uh if if, if they're rational, guess. they are. Yeah, if I if I had to guess, I would assume that they had like a top five pick on him or a top five grade on him for sure. Um, kind of an interesting spot because last year they who was it, Alex Okafor who broke out for him, but then had an Achilles tear. Hello, I think he just went out. Hello, because I don't think people really realize. One, how dominant. Like, hey, you George, went out for you went out for a second. Just start over. Whatever you were saying, <laughs> I can't even remember what I was saying. Uh, the New Orleans Saints defensive line is sneaky next year. Yeah, uh, Rankins. I I think he's he's gonna explode. Cause just like when you watch Rankins, I think when you watch him, he's kind of like in that sophomore year, or or like end of rookie year Grady Jarrett phase where you see like he's penetrating a lot, but he's just not getting the ball carried down. But I, I I just think that with another year removed from that broken leg, I I think he's going to shine this year. Unfortunately, um, um, Chris Leonard, the offensive tackle from Florida State, you actually yeah, drafted. Why did he's he draft? fucking awful? Yeah, there's he's like I didn't was. <laughs> I didn't think he was going to get drafted at all. Um, I really didn't watch that much of him, uh, but when I did, he just got the shit beat out of him. I know the Alabama game, for example, like you could find like five different pass rushers who just knocked the shit out of uh, that quarterback that he killed. Uh yeah, and I mean, if you just if you watch Florida State at all, which I don't recommend doing this past season, why would you draft a single player off of the offensive line? It just like they were horrific. So I don't really understand what the Saints. And he was the right tackle. Like the right tackle isn't a premier spot. He's getting help with tight ends and stuff, man. Like, I I don't know. I didn't get that one at all. And the thing is, the Saints are usually good about offensive linemen, right? Like it's a I don't know. It's very weird. Uh yeah. So. 
The next team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they drafted uh, Terrell Edmonds, the brother of Tremaine, in the first round, a safety from Virginia Tech. And I, I really, honestly, did not watch a second of him. Like I have, even in passing from watching uh, Tremaine, I still have no takes on him. So, I, I, I did like the the James Washington pick after they ended up trading uh, Mark Davis Bryant. I know you're not a fan. He's a bum. He's, he's a bum. Yeah, I, I, there you go. Uh, and then Mason Rudolph. I don't know if he ever ends up like being the quarterback of the future there, but. I, I think Rudolph is at least like a starting like I think he's a starting caliber quarterback probably. I don't know. The thing is right now it's kind of hard to find a team that really needs a court other than like the Giants and like the Bang like what teams are even gonna be in the quarterback market in the near future where you could say like I don't I don't know. I feel like in terms of like the bottom rung of starting quarterbacks, we're in a pretty good spot in 2018 relative to where we have been in the past. Um, I will say the Terrell Edmonds thing. It's really interesting to me that they basically drafted a strong safety uh, with their top pick. Their, I th- want to say their top free agency signing was Morgan Burnett, who's a strong safety, was damn near a linebacker in Green Bay last year. And then they still have Sean Davis, who was like kind of playing a free safety role, but he was a strong safety, and he got exposed several times. So now they have like three strong safeties when really they wanted to draft a free safety to play free safety. And now they have three strong safeties. I, I don't know. It's just It just kind of makes my brain numb where I'm like, okay, so you have three safeties now that you're highly invested in and none of them can mo- match up against Gronk. Cool. Yep, it's going to be the same old, same old in the AFC. Uh, we really need some of these AFC quarterbacks, like young quarterbacks to hit because there are a ton of them now. Like, So you have what? Just in this draft alone, you got Baker, Darnold, Josh Allen, and Lamar going to the AFC. You have Deshaun Watson coming off the injury. Mahomes. Mahomes, Mariota getting a new OC. Hopefully Luck coming back from the dead, even though he hasn't thrown a pass since, uh, what, the 1980s. So I you know, I really hope the some of these quarterbacks in the AFC hit because if they don't, that means we got to hit another, like, another two, three-year reset cycle of the NFL, of the NFC just, just dominating. Brady won't. Brady could play till he's fifty. He'll be in the Super Bowl every year. Um, Brady's been to uh, what is it? Seven straight AFC Championship games. Like that's absolutely absurd when you think about it. And think about how random the playoffs are. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like that's that nuts. level of domination is just is nuts. Like it, it, so, it shouldn't happen. Like it shouldn't happen in a sport as random as the NFL. Yeah, especially yeah when you have one game samples. I mean, we saw in the Falcons Eagles game last year. Like, if Keanu Neal doesn't need that ball before halftime right in the Torrey Smith's hands and get him the field goal range, they have a better chance of winning that game. Like, And a one-game sample like that will end your season. So I don't it, – it's just it's just all kind of random. And to see that kind of sustained postseason dominance by the Patriots, it's it's almost like fake. It's like what we're seeing with the Warriors, where they've lost three games since Kevin Durant became uh, – came on that team. Three postseason games since Kevin Durant came on the team. Uh Next team, we're almost done. Jacksonville Jaguars. They picked Taven Bryan, defensive tackle from Florida. I was not high on him as a player. Obviously, he's a freak athlete. You know, I mean, I think our pal JJ Hank, Watt with the lobotomy. Yeah, our our pal, <laughs> our pal Hank Jones. He uh, after the draft, he tweeted that the Jaguars just drafted the white Fletcher Cox. And I mean, yeah, if you gave <laughs> Fletcher Cox a lobotomy and just put him out on the field yeah sure but the thing with he, Brian he's, the, is, he's the most he's the most explosive athlete that i've ever seen that has absolutely zero creativity yeah. like it's very weird and the thing with, with brian is like you like you, you just said when you watch him he is very very clearly an elite athletic talent i mean 
the way that he's able to bend at his weight and size is just utterly absurd. It's just the thing is he just has no idea what's happening on the field on any given play. Uh, so I, I do think that this is a good spot for him, though, where you can kind of learn from uh, veteran guys like, you know, Kalias Campbell, Malik Jackson, uh, guys who kind of been been around the block before, Marcel Darius. Uh, and for him to kind of get a redshirt year and play it on the elite defensive line is going to be good for him. And it's going to make some decisions easier for the Jaguars next year. So kind of like when you look at what the Falcons and the Jaguars are doing, they're reloading. They're keeping that roster young at premier position. So I, I do like the Taven Bryan pick. Uh, just when you look at it from a post-2018 perspective. Definitely. How, how – so we, we evaluated him as a three-tech, right? Yeah. How do you like him as Calais Campbell's replacement long-term? Because uh, I like him less in that role. But the like, more I, I've I talked to Jacks like, fans, I don't like, like they kind of think he's going to be – yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like him outside of being a three. Like I want him being a penetrating three. Um, but the more I talk to Jags fans, the more they think like Clay Campbell is the guy who's gone next year, and that Brian is going to be the guy who steps up in this place. And I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I wish for the best, but he's got a long way to go before you can trust him at like playing over like two sides of a tackle. Yeah, and with Brian, I with when you when you play him, I just think you want him to think as little as possible. You know, Brian, <laughs> it's like you know, it's like when you have a high school kid that you're coaching. It's like Taven, this yeah. is this here is the B gap. Just run up the field five yards, and we're gonna have Miles clean up after you. Miles will tell yeah. to clean up after you. Behind. Do Do you think? Do you think? Brian, so he's from like Wyoming. Do you think he even played both ways in Wyoming football, or he was just strictly a defensive player since high school? Oh, they definitely put him at fullback. <laughs> okay, there we go. But not offensive line. <laughs> not offensive line. Deuce call. deuce call. He's not gonna do that. No, no chance. But, but yeah, if, okay. if you tell him to go run over that fullback, he'll, he'll do it to the best of his ability, and he'll probably get him get him on his ass. Uh. The Minnesota Vikings had an interesting pick. You know, another team that's kind of drafting for the future, drafting to keep uh, stability, as, like or at least the talent level high as guys rotate in and out as they picked. Mike Hughes in the first round, and you know, Terrence Newman is 57 years old, so obviously he's going to be out the door soon. And they're going to have a tough decision to make on Trey Wayne, who hasn't really panned out like they wanted him to. Uh, but, you know, to pick Mike Hughes in the first round, Brian O'Neill, tackle from Pitt in the second round, I, I mean, that's a pretty decent start you know i just don't know how much their offensive line is going to improve with the adding of o'neill but he's another one of those guys that tested like an alien yeah so o'neill i'm i so we talked about colton miller right like o'neill and colton miller are kind of the same i honestly would probably like o'neill a little bit better um much bigger fan of taking o'neill at 62 than miller at like 15 or whatever it was but the thing to me that's really interesting is mike mike uh remmers kicked inside a lot to guard, I wonder if O'Neal plays right tackle for him this year and Remmers just full-time kicks inside a guard because they need – like they're, they're not in a situation where O'Neal can be a swing tackle and they'll be fine on the offensive line, right? Like they got to figure out how to get him into the lineup. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I don't really think there's much to say about their draft class outside of those two. I, I think Mike Hughes is a, a – I think he's a fantastic corner. Just There were a lot of – you know, talented cornerbacks in the draft class. So for them to get one, and now you get to kind of keep that cornerback group young as, you know, Xavier Rhodes kind of hits the peak of his career, and then you're going to have a decision to make about Trey Waynes and Terrence Newman retires. I thought that that was a really smart pick for them. Uh, so the last team, the New England Patriots, they had two first-round picks thanks to uh, trading Brandon Cooks to the Rams, and they 
double up on Georgia players. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, uh, the left tackle, and Sony Michelle, the running back behind Nick Chubb, were both uh, their first-round picks. And what's, what's, what's kind of funny about this is that Wynn and Michelle were roommates in college, and now they get drafted by the same team in the first round. But I love I, I love the Patriots pick of Wynn because, obviously, I, I think a lot of people, and me included, just kind of assumed he was going to kick inside to guard because, you know, just because of his size. And his he's, like, he's like 6'2 and change, like closer to 6'3. Yeah. But 6'2 and change, and like a guy like uh, David Bakhtiari was a guy who, was, who dr- fell, you know, two full rounds in the draft because he was 6'4 flat, yeah. right? So, like, this is kind of an unprecedented move, especially uh, when at right tackle they're probably going to start Trent Brown, who's, like, 6'9 or whatever he is, yeah. right? So it's it's kind of interesting that the Patriots did this, and Skarnacki is definitely one of the best offensive line coaches in the in the world, right, we could like say. Ever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just a really cool thing to see because right now offensive tackle play in the NFL is awful, and part of it – is because like you can't play offensive tackle unless you're like six five now, which is a pretty ridiculous standard when America's athletes who are that size are going into basketball, and right. it just like keeps rising every year. Where like people talk about a lot about guys like uh, offensive line, defensive line, and recruits who can play both are now swinging towards the defensive side more often than not, right? Which okay, cool, but go look up how many defensive tackles are six four and six five and six six, right? There's not really that many. Like most defensive tackles are smaller than what our standard is for offensive tackle right now. So the pool that we're drafting from is really small. It's cool to, you know, a guy like Wynn, just because he's, you know, 6'3", isn't completely disqualified from playing bookend in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and what's this, what I thought was cool just about the Wynn pick, like with keeping him at left tackle is how much money you save by moving from Nate Solder to Isaiah Wynn, and you might even get better just because Solder's had a lot of back injuries and stuff like that. So you get younger. So, Solder talked about retirement, man, like last year, right like in the season. And then, the, and then our pal David Gettleman turns around and, hey, don't don't retire. He's fifteen million dollars. <laughs> Sir, do you want to be the highest paid offensive tackle or offensive lineman in the sport, despite the fact that you've never made a Pro Bowl? Come here. Yeah, I think I think he's making twenty five. I wanted to say I think I sent this to you. I think he's making twenty five million dollars the first two years, and that's like four million more than anyone else. The only guy who even really comes close is uh, Trent Williams, and Trent Williams has made either six or seven straight Pro Bowls. So, yeah, Nate Solder got overpaid. Not that Gettleman cares at all. Nope. Uh, I I mean I don't really understand the Solder contract at all, but just a pro- like in terms of process for the Patriots. This is what they do. Like they, they don't overpay and they just restock. And they'll get a they'll get a third round pick for him too as right. a compensatory next year. Um, one thing I wanted to say about Michelle, I, we kind of probably should have seen this coming. Man. Yeah, I feel I feel kind of bad about this because I've looked at stuff like the second half of the season in the NFL. Um, do you know Do you know that Deion Lewis uh, led the NFL in both rushing yards and rushing attempts in the second half of the season? I didn't know like that. They, yeah, they they kind of had a bell cow. And, like, they needed to replace him. And, like, none of us really saw that. And I feel like we should have seen that. Like, I feel like a big old dummy as soon as that pick was announced. Um, by the way, the Titans, everyone thinks uh, Derrick Henry is going to start. And, like, why why isn't Deion Lewis a better player? And not just as a pass catcher, right? For some reason, people think Deion Lewis, for some reason, is just a pass catcher. No, he was a bell cow the second half of the season. Like, he might just, like, push Derrick Henry into a running back two role. Yeah, I just think people look at, like, 
the size difference and just go. Derek, you're the starter, and Dion's the backup. But Dion could easily be the better player than him this year. So, uh, I mean, do you have any uh, Duke Dawson takes? I didn't watch him. Absolutely not. All right, so that's going to conclude. Our... Eagles, wow. Oh, oh the Eagles. God. I forgot, I forgot, You're I forgot. You're getting on us, bro. No, I sir. I'm not going to do this. Oh, yeah. Put some respect on that fucking name. Yeah. Uh, they... Dallas Gelder was drafted uh, 49th overall. He's going to be a backup tight end for him. Uh, do you have Avante Maddox takes? He's really fast. That's all I know. Uh, Josh Sweat, that's a good pick. Yeah, that's a great pick. Uh, just because, you know, Sweat is another one of those guys kind of like Daniil Hunter who didn't play in a scheme that suited suit his talents in college, but now he gets to play in a defensive line scheme that's very aggressive and he's a freak athlete. And, oh, he look, he gets to play next to Fletcher Cox and Timmy Jern again, and he's going to have Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett on the other side whenever he does get playing time. So that's that was like the ideal landing spot for Sweat. And now you have a guy that can come in and replace Chris Long whenever he decides to leave uh, and he's an elite athlete, so that's that was a that was one of the best picks in the draft to me. Uh, I think that was probably the best day three pick. I think so too, just because Hercules Matafa didn't get drafted at all. Yeah, a broken heart. Yeah, Matafa. That was he went to the he got signed by the Vikings after the draft. And just when you look at if you just look at the Vikings depth chart right now, I oh swear, it's like they ha- they have starters right now, but they got they got nothing behind them. I feel like they have like so many guys they've invested into like in the later rounds in the past couple of years uh the, I, I mean i just don't know like what his real chances are of making the team i if i was him i would go like, to the I, jets and be like i am your best pass rusher yeah. <laughs> go there go there the rams just yeah that's what i would have done i'm gonna be an agent and just control where pass rushers go um i think Mataafa is better than jalen holmes but holmes is a fourth round pick and he's not gonna get cut for him so what what the fuck do i know Yep. I um, wonder. I wonder if there was an injury there, though. That's the one thing I'll say. Is I wonder if there was an injury there, because he he didn't perform like we thought he was at the combine, but he didn't perform bad. Yeah, I I just thought like when you watched him, he was so explosive like, up the field, and just when you see guys that small, really just kick guys' ass that weighs seventy, eighty pounds more than I just assumed that he was going to be like some freak athlete, but he wasn't. Uh, and that was just that was just he, he's be- he's better than Vea, who went twelfth overall. I'll say it. I'll do it. All right. Let's just talk about it. Actually, no. no because no, no one will hold me responsible at all. So. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to conclude uh, episode 74 of 70 years. It was the longest episode uh, we've had so far. I think about an hour and a half. So uh, thanks for sticking through this. If you made it all the way to this point, thanks for rocking with our nonsense. And five-star we'll reviews. Yeah, five-star reviews. We'll be back at some point. I'm not going to promise when we come back anymore because we're busy as hell right now in real life. So peace. <laughs>